Well, we're starting a new series, a Lenten series called Overture, and it's about strength for today from bright hope for tomorrow. Strength for the day from bright hope of tomorrow. That's, that's as simple as it gets. It's the strength that we gather from eternal themes that are resonant within today. And what am I talking about? Jesus had seven last words on the cross. Famous seven last words on the cross. Now, maybe that may seem uh, a little dark of a theme. But in each of those words is an eternal resonant signal of things to come. And so we're going to look at Jesus' seven last words. And we're going to focus those seven last words upon the opening chapter, chapters of Acts. You can see in the early church how what Jesus says on the cross are signals of things to come. Themes. So an, an overture is, is the, the beginning, a, a, a complete piece of a larger choral or symphonic work. Okay, An overture is the opening piece. And it has all the themes of that larger work. And so that's why we're calling this overture. That this life that you have, this life that I have, has within it truth and beauty and justice and themes that resonate from eternity into now. What am I talking about? L let me illustrate with this, uh, this scene from the Shawshank Redemption. The, uh, the movie, the film Shawshank Redemption, it's set in a prison. And the main character locks himself, at one point, he, he locks himself in the central tower of that prison. And he plays this aria from, from The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. Now, it's, it, Mozart was Austrian, but he wrote this Italian opera, I guess, because he saw that, that there was another opera written in Italian that was making a lot more money than he was making. So he wrote an Italian opera. And, and so in the middle of this of this opera, The Marriage of Figaro, is this incredible duet, this intermingling of voices of a soprano and a mezzo-soprano. Two women singing these intermingling harmonic tones. And he blasts this in the center of this prison. He blasts this duet over these huge loudspeakers. And everyone in the prison, everyone, is frozen in the scene looking up at the speakers, just transfixed. It's beauty. You don't have to explain it. In fact, you can't fully explain it. Imagine one of those opera singers here, and, and instead of this bowl here on the, 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 the pedestal, a, a goblet, a crystal goblet, and imagine that opera singer hitting just the right note that resonates with it, and it shatters. You've seen images of that, right? These are the themes of the next seven weeks. Each week, a different theme. Each week, a different word that doesn't quite capture it. In fact, here's what one of the other, here's what the, one of the other characters in that movie says. He says, I have no idea to this day. This is played by Morgan Freeman, so try to imagine my voice, Morgan Freeman. Forget it. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are better left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful, it can't be expressed in words. 
and makes your heart ache because of it. Authority, transcendence, truth, beauty, justice, freedom. These all try to capture something that is an eternal, weighty, meaningful concept that resonates now, but it's too big for now. Shatters whatever we try to capture, whenever we try to capture it. But for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of these themes in the book of Acts, in the light, in the light of Jesus' last seven words on the cross. Today, we're going to get it kicked off with authority. Authority? Authority. Is that one of those? Does that match up with truth and beauty and justice, freedom? Why authority? Well, under authority, under authority, and only under authority, we find order and peace and purpose and all of those other things that we can enjoy. Frederick Nietzsche said this. He said, apart from God, anything is permissible. And so it's God's authority or it's chaos. From the Word of God, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's Word this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, and let me pause and explain, explain this. This is written by Dr. Luke, a physician. Luke, who was a traveling companion of Paul, went around with Paul and studied what was going on, understood what was happening, looked deeply into all of the events surrounding Jesus' life. And he wrote, Luke wrote the gospel, the, one of the most comprehensive, the most comprehensive of our gospels. And then he wrote the Acts as well. And he's writing to Theophilus, which, which really means beloved. Now, some people say, well, th this is just written to, to every man or to everyone. But I think there was a real person named Theophilus. And so, but you can receive this as written to you as beloved of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority or by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God add his blessing to this, his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, bless us now to receive your word, not only into our minds, to understand, 
but into our hearts to receive it and trust it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Authority brings order. Authority brings order. And with order, we see meaning, design, resonant design, resonant meaning. The eternal weight of meaning of the universe resonates within the orderly conduct of our lives. And so let's take a look at where authority comes from, why we need it, and what to do with it, all right? Where it comes from, why we need it, and what to do with it. First, where does it come from? Where does authority come from? Well, obviously it comes from God. I mentioned Nietzsche. He says, apart from God, we can do anything. We're allowed. We're permitted to do anything. Right? If you dismiss the concept of God, then all things are permitted. And you can see that Jesus himself appeals to the authority of God in everything he does. Where does authority come from? It comes from God and God alone. The authority over our lives, the authority over right and wrong, the authority over the days and years, the trajectory of life itself, the universe. God has authority over all things, and Jesus notes it again and again and again. He appeals to it. You can see it in his baptism. He waits for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when John objects, he says, why am I baptizing you? You should be baptizing us. He's saying, look, I, I am under God's authority. I am a human being, fully man. I, I need to wait for God's authority. So much of life is about waiting, isn't it? I mean, just 40 days of Lent between Ash Wednesday and Easter, it's a, a period of waiting. Jesus it appears to, uh, with many, many uh, faithful proofs of who he is throughout 40 days as they wait for God's spirit of power to be released in their lives in the same way it's been released in Jesus' lives. Jesus, time and time again, just, just take a couple of, of different instances. Jesus uh, is always appealing to the authority of God. Mark chapter 2. You know, he, he demonstrates the power of God so that people aren't, aren't thinking that, well, I'm just doing this all on my own. In, in Mark chapter 2, there, there's that paralytic that's, that's, that's lowered down. He says, your sins are forgiven. And, and, and people say, and everybody starts murmuring, well, who has the power or the authority to forgive sins but God alone? The first word of Jesus on the cross is a word of forgiveness. That's the first word of Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Does he have the authority to forgive sins? I mean, otherwise it's sentimentality, right? Prince said, I will die for you. Well, uh, darling, if you want me to, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. That's great. But what's it going to do unless what? Unless the authority comes from God. Now, I told this story my first year here about seven years ago. I told this story about that illustrates this important principle. You look back at verse 4 and 5 in your bulletin. By the way, in the bulletin, you can see the bones of the sermon, just the, the, the verses behind everything I'm saying. So the first one is, wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus waits on the promise. He waits. He shows how he is under authority, and so are we. Where is the power that he has then to forgive? Let me illustrate it with this story. So there was this there was a, a, a Russian who lived in under Tsarist Russia. And the Tsars were famously cruel. And, and so he defected and, and went north. And he created his own colony of people. 
And many hundreds of people followed him. And he ruled, he had to rule, not cruelly, but he had to rule with grace and truth. He had to rule and lay down the law, and he had to enforce the law. And at one point, there was somebody who was stealing grain. They had some grain stores that were, were going to get them through, uh, through the winter. And at one point, they discovered that somebody was stealing grain. And so he, he drew the line. He laid down the law, and he said, if, if, whoever is caught, if you're caught by this, you know, now you know that you will be uh, publicly whipped. Okay, in, in, in the center of our village, you're going to be disrobed, and you're going to be flogged 40 times. That's the law if you're caught stealing grain. Well, the next day, um, they, they learned that uh, somebody had, that very night, uh, taken more grain. And it was the leader's own mother. It was his mother. She thought that some people needed more grain. And so, you know, what was he going to do? He was caught between, you know, grace and truth. He was caught between laying down the law and being merciful. If he, if he, if he flogged his own mother, what would people think of him? If he didn't flog his own mother, what would people think of him? He was between that rock and hard place. Well, he called everybody together in public, just as he said. He said, justice will be served just as I said, it would, but also mercy, because the punishment is going to be on my back. He substituted himself in the place of his mother. He's the only one who could have done that. He might have said, well, my little brother over here, he's going to do it, right? <laughs> or he could have said, you know, uh, this guy who just sort of wandered into the village, we don't know where he came from, he, he's going to substitute for us. But the one who drew the line, the one whose authority laid down the law is the only one who could substitute himself, who could put himself in place, in our place. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Only Jesus could die for us, and only God, in the form of a man, could fulfill the promise of the Old Testament, the promise of the whole sacrificial system. Jesus fulfills it under the authority of God. That's where, that's where authority comes from. And Jesus demonstrates how important it is. Jesus operates by God's authority. Well, that's where it comes from. Why do we need it? I've already said why we need it. We need it for order, but let's, let's look at that a little bit more. Whether you like it or not, you and I need order in our lives. We need authority. We need to be under authority. We need the structure of authority. We need the order of authority, whether we like it or not. You don't like being sent to the principal's office, right? You don't like your child being sent to the principal's office. But you like it when there's a principal to bring order when there's a bully who's bullying your child or bullying you. You don't like to see blue lights behind you, but you like seeing blue lights behind a guy who's road raging and, and threatening everybody on the highway. You don't like getting a letter from the IRS. You know, an unexpected one. But you like national security. We need order. We need to be under authority. Let's look at this, this scripture again. He says this. It is not for you to know the times or the dates. What's he saying? It's not for you to know the times or the dates. Because we, we, we so often want to take control, right? We're, we're like, we've got our own plans. There's our plans, and then there's God's plans. And they're like, okay, this is going great. 
You're showing up. You're powerful. Let's go. Let's bring it. Let's, are you going to restore the kingdom right now? Let's do it. Let's, let's, in, in a measurable and powerful way, let's go. Let's get this thing on. And Jesus is saying, look, you need to, here's square one. Listen to what I'm saying. It's not for you to know the times of the days when I will restore the kingdom. Can you, can you recognize that being under authority begins like right now? <laughs> you see? And do you see how quickly we want to get out from under authority? How quickly we want to go by our own plan? Now, see, our, our secular age, uh, our godless age in a lot of ways, still recognizes the principle of a transcendent authority. We still swear on the Bible. We still swear in a president on the Bible. We recognize that, that, uh, that there is something to this, that there is something important and powerful of having an authority that transcends any human threat or any consequences that we can bring. We appeal to it and we, we recognize there's a principle there that, that at least is practical. Even our secular age continues this practice, this tradition, this, this heritage of swearing on the Bible. It's just a, one illustration of how we want to have the benefit of authority, but we don't always want to be under it, right? You know, our American exceptionalism is, is something that has been sort of under fire for the last number of years. The idea that, that America is a city on a hill. And, you know, when, 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 we, when we go and intervene in, around the world, when we inter, intervene because of the threat of weapons of mass destru- destruction in, in the Middle East, you know, there's a, big, there, there's a big wrangling over, was that the right thing to do? Were the, was there really evidence for that? Was, was all of the intelligence that lined up, was all of that the truth? Can we trust the government? And, you know, the whole, the whole point of this is that, that we should spread democracy because it is the accountable thing. It is the thing that, 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 that brings us to account. But, but if the intelligence is not true, I'm not saying whether it was or not, I'm just saying if in that whole scenario of weapons of mass destruction and intervening, we're not colonizing Iraq, right? Looking back on history. Or if we intervene next week, we're not trying to colonize. We're trying to, we're trying to bring accountability. And if we're not accountable, what are we spreading? You see, so we have to be under authority ourselves. We have to be accountable to the law ourselves. I believe in American exceptionalism when we're living it, right? I believe that, that there, is, there are principles that, that, that structure our life in America that, that the world needs. Systems and checks and balances, accountability is the point. We all need that accountability, whether we want it or not. And so when we're intervening, we better be sure that our house is in order, that what we're doing has integrity, that we ourselves are accountable to one another, that what we're really spreading is an accountable republic, an accountable set of principles that transcend just not just the moment of what we want or the power that, that we need or the ends justifying the means, but that we are truly people of the word, of our word. You know, it's like the guy said, hey, I'm not a Christian. But I sure am glad my neighbors are, <laughs> right? I mean, we recognize. And when Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, right off the bat, he's confronting how quickly we want our plan 
how quickly we want our power, how quickly we want control over the situation. And he's saying, wait. Wait for the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because those principles of accountability, they bring life to your bones and they bring life to the kingdoms of the world. It's like being in tune. So when you're in tune with those principles, when you're in tune with the power of God, when you're in tune with the Spirit of God, when you're in tune with the Word of God, it's like a fork, right? That tuning fork. And if you're in tune with that fork, and I'm in tune with that fork, and he and she are all in tune with that fork, guess what else we're in tune with? We're in tune with each other. Under God's authority is order. That's why we need it. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Why do we need it? We need it for order. What do we do with it now that we have it? I mean, we have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. What are we to do with it? What are we supposed to do with it? Well, we're supposed to live according to his promises and not according to what he hasn't promised. Right? It says in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand staring up into the clouds? Why do you stand staring up into the clouds? That, that, that whole men of Galilee thing. <laughs> do you hear what he's saying? What's he saying? He's saying, you're, you're, you think that that's your home. This is your home. It's going to be renewed. Starting now, there is the renewal of all things, that God is in the business of renewing life, the universe, and everything. Men of Galilee, get to it. Why are you staring up into the clouds? What has he promised? Live the promises that you know. Don't pine for the things he hasn't promised. Now, isn't that our problem? This morning, people, FPC, isn't that our problem? Somebody said, you know, our problem in prayer is that we, we try to make 2 plus 2 not equal 4, right? Dear God, may 2 plus 2 equal 5. Amen. Doesn't work. When God has revealed himself, when he's revealed a promise, when he's revealed what he, he promises for you in the future, live that. Don't pine away for something else. Live under the promises, not what he hasn't promised. That's the first step of living under authority. That's what we do with it. Men of Galilee, why do you stand staring up into the clouds? You know, the, the clouds, it's not an accident. It, 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 the, the clouds are a symbol here of Jesus. It's not an accident. Think of the Old Testament. What guided Israel? The cloud. Pillar of fire at night, cloud by day. He's saying, look, don't look to the clouds. Don't look, don't look to the, what has he promised you? When, when Jesus is, is talking with Mary, she's holding, on, and he says to her, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. What's he saying? He's saying, look, <laughs> a, a, when I depart, when I ascend to the, to the Father, what, 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 what comes next is my spirit that's with you, present and powerful, released, the beginning of the renewal of all things. Don't hold on just to this moment. Look to all moments being renewed. Live what God has promised, not what he hasn't. Now, a lot of times when we, when we see the chaos in our lives, this is our problem, friends, isn't it? We pray for two plus two to equal something other than four. And when there's chaos, we kind of, we, we want to take matters into our own hands. 
And we begin to assume that what God has established through his word and by his spirit and through his church, through his word, by his spirit, and through his church, we, we, we begin to take it for granted. We think, it's just always been that way. It's common sense, right? And we begin to say nonsense things like this. Uh, everyone should decide for themselves what is true. You ever heard that bit of nonsense? Everyone should decide for themselves what is true. Okay, that sounds like a universal principle you've just laid down, friend. Everyone should decide for themselves what is true. Where did you get the idea that there should be some universal quality of law that should guide all of us? Where did you get the idea that there should be some sort of guiding authority? Where did you get that idea? You know, before the cross, before the resurrection, before the, the Spirit of God was, re, was released in the world, before the church bared witness to it, it was might makes right. It was might makes right. You ever been to the savannah? You ever seen the, the hyenas competing with the lions, competing with the, you know, the, the jackals and the vultures? That's what human life was like before the cross. That, that competitive survival level. And yet we know in our bones that we know that we're created for something more meaningful than that. We know that when you speak of something that, that, that says life is meaningful and orderly. We know that when we see human life thriving in order, thriving under authority, we know there's something bigger here that shatters the small scheme of our plans. Everyone should decide for themselves. It's amazing how quickly we try to reject the authority of God and at the same time accept the principle, the practical principle of what his authority brings. You see? We're living in an age where we want a Christless Christianity. But Jesus' first word on the cross this first scene in the book of Acts is all about God having the authority to speak a central word that ripples through the rest of you. And that word is grace. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That the grace of God and the glory of God may be the hallmarks of your life. Close with this. Arthur Miller wrote a play where the main character was just wanting that kind of word spoken over his life. He was talking about there being this life being a series of proofs. You know, when you're young, you prove this, and when you're a little bit older, you prove that, and when you're much older, you, you try to prove this other thing. And he just kept waiting for a verdict over his life. And, he, and, he, and, and, and the sad, poignant moment in the play is when he says, I looked up at the bench, and the bench was empty. There was no one to pronounce a verdict. But the verdict of the Christian life is grace. And God has the authority to speak it. And it's not just a promise for tomorrow. It's strength for today from bright hope of tomorrow. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word of truth that outweighs the whole world. Word of grace over our life, a word of grace and truth. And we pray that it would so resonate with our minds and hearts this morning. 
that it would find itself cascading into all other areas of our life. Into our Jerusalem. Into our Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, under his authority, Jesus, the Son of God, amen.